Hey, this is Stephen, and I want to welcome you or welcome you back to the Grove Church Podcast. For more information or to find more resources like this one, be sure to visit us at grove.org. Thanks for listening, and I hope the following message is encouraging and meaningful to your life. Well, we are in week three of a sermon series called FaithWorks. This is a walk through and working through the book of James. And over the last several weeks, we have been unpacking what James has had to say to a group of Christians who were scattered all throughout the known world at the time. And he's writing to give them encouragement, but ultimately he's writing them to give them instruction on how they're supposed to live. You see, James wasn't concerned with a specific set of issues that Christians were facing, but he recognized that just the nature of Christianity itself, the nature of being a a person of faith, was a difficult task. And so he's writing to encourage and to give instruction to Christians who are learning how to live as people of faith. Not just as people of faith who put on their Christianity and their belief systems for an hour a week, but people of faith where their faith begins to work through every part and every component of their lives. James's goal for us, what he is encouraging us to become, is a wholly integrated person of faith so that our thoughts, our actions, our choices, our words, the way that we spend our time and our money, our relationships are all infiltrated by and colored by and informed by what it is that we profess to believe so that in every part and every aspect of our lives, we can be people of faith who demonstrate and model what it means to follow Jesus Christ. This is James's goal throughout the entire book that he writes, the entire letter that he distributed around the known Christian world. And so over the last couple of weeks, what we've been looking at is the different categories, the different areas of our life that James identifies as particularly difficult in which it is to live out our faith. And so in week one, we recognize and James told us about how difficult it is to maintain our faith and to be people of faith in a period of adversity, in moments of suffering and difficulty. And so James helps us understand that it's through these difficult circumstances that we are able to maintain faith and that they're actually occasions for joy because they allow us to trust on and depend in God more. And then last week, James talked us through how there are certain moments where we really have to put our faith into practice, into practical action, because it's in demonstrating our actions, in demonstrating our faith, that people are able to see that it really has life, that it really exists. And so last week, we did something special. We did something called Serve Sunday. And we gathered as a church out on the lawn, and we put together Thanksgiving meal kits. It was a tangible practical opportunity for us to put our faith into action. And our goal was, was something simple. We wanted to pack a hundred Thanksgiving meal kits for families who were in need here in the Dallas area. Well, as always, you showed up and went above and beyond what our expectations were. We packed over 130 meal kits for families for this Thanksgiving. I'm so proud of all of the work and all of the families and all of the time and effort and the willingness for us to live out our faith in very practical ways. So last Sunday, we did exactly what James told us to do. We demonstrated our faith in practical action. This morning, we are talking about another category where it's really difficult, but also very crucial that we live out our faith. 
And this is something that maybe of all of the weeks is maybe my favorite because of kind of the word pictures that James gives us to help us understand this concept, but also because of how relevant and how useful these instructions are for every day and every moment of our lives. You see, James is going to talk to us about how important it is that we pay attention to our tongue, to our mouth, to the words that we speak. And knowing that the average person speaks somewhere between 15,000 and 16,000 words a day, 15 to 16,000 words a day, there are a lot of opportunities for us to put this into practice, which means there are a lot of opportunities for us to get this right and a lot of opportunities for us to get this wrong. And I think we all can remember the old adage when we were kids that goes, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. And it didn't take long for us, despite how many times we would repeat that adage, for us to recognize that that was simply not the case. It was wholly untrue that people's words did impact us, that they did hurt, and oftentimes they hurt worse, and the pain lasted longer and created deeper scars than anything a stick or a stone can do. And so it's my hope that through this morning's message and through the instruction that James gives us that we'll be able to take these words and apply them immediately to our lives. Because it is the way that we form the basis of our relationships is the words that we use to communicate, to build relationships with others. And so maybe now more than ever, we need these instructions that James gives us. You turn on the TV, you open up your phone, and we are constantly bombarded by words. Words that are intended to tear down, to divide, to destroy, to instill fear. And now more than ever, I think the world needs people, people of faith, who are very intentional with the words that they use, the words that they don't use, the way that they pattern their speech, and the way that they can give life through their mouths. And so let's jump right in to this week's part of James. We're going to be in the third chapter of James, starting in verse 1. Now, if you're watching with us on our online platform, Church Online, there's a Bible tab that you can read along with us, or you can pull it up in another tab in your browser, or if you are on the road or jogging or sitting at home and don't want to do the work, I'm happy to read it for you. So, James chapter 3, verse 1. This is what James says to us about our words, our speech, and particularly our tongue. He says, My friends... Not many of you should become teachers. Now, in this case, what he's saying by teachers is uh, someone who teaches about the law, who teaches about the word of God. Uh, We would replace it today with the word pastor or priest. So this is a particularly haunting passage, maybe the most haunting passage in all of Scripture for me personally. James says it this way, My friends, not many of you should become teachers, because we know that teachers will be judged more strictly. There's something about the responsibility that you take on when you speak to people, particularly about God, about things of faith. So this is something that's constantly rattling in my mind, knowing that everything that I say will be evaluated, will be judged, not by, just by those who hear them, but ultimately by God himself. And so there is a tremendous responsibility that I feel uh, to be really intentional with what I say, what I don't say, and the way and the nature that I say it. So James is using this as an illustration. He's saying this is kind of like this other thing over here. So listen, be careful. And not everybody should be teachers because the way that you speak and what you say when you speak is going to be judged. It has weight. It has significance. It has impact. And the same is true about every person's life. 
This is how he says it. He says, listen, we all make mistakes on the regular, but those who don't make mistakes with their words, they have reached full maturity. So what James is saying is simply, the way that you can determine the maturity of a person, the way that you can determine the spiritual maturity, the emotional maturity, is by the way that people speak, by the words that they use, by the words that they don't use. And so pay attention to how people talk. It will give you insight into who they are and how they are, and what they're all about. This is what James is saying to us. And so he starts to create this word picture. He says, like a bridled horse, people who don't make mistakes with their words, like a bridled horse, they can control themselves entirely. So what James is saying is, when you have perfect speech, when you have speech without error, when you use your speech intentionally to give life and to build up others, it is an indication that you have perfect control of your life. And if you have perfect control of your life, then you are on your way to becoming a perfect person in the model and in the form of Jesus Christ. So we recognize there was only one perfect person and he was Jesus. And so we can use this to think back and to use this as a filter to look back over all of the encounters that we see Jesus having with others throughout scripture. Time and time again, we see Jesus being posed with a difficult question. Pharisees or Sadducees asking him something about the law or what God did or didn't say or the way that God did or didn't say it with an intent to trap him, to put him in a difficult spot and to get him to say something that was untrue or that they could hold against him. But what we see is Jesus has perfect control of his words because he was a perfect person. He made no mistake with his speech. He was always able to give the right answer, the perfect answer, answers that give life, words of encouragement and of hope to others. Even in the most difficult of circumstances when he's before Pilate and he is being tried and ultimately beaten and tortured and then crucified, he makes no mistake with his speech. He doesn't get angry or frustrated and says, just wait, I'm going to get you back, or says anything of the sort. He's perfect in his speech. He has perfect control of his life because he was indeed a perfect person. James is saying this is the goal for us to be so controlled in our speech that it reflects the level of spiritual maturity that we have in our own lives. And so he says, like a bridled horse. He says in verse three, when we bridle horses, when we put a bit into their mouths, we are able to lead them wherever we want. When that, when that bit is in the horse's mouth and you want the horse to go left, all you have to do is take the reins and steer it left and you can lead the entire horse left. Or if you wanna go right, you can go right. Stop, you can stop all because there is something small within the mouth of the horse that gives you control over the entirety of the horse. And so he says this. He says, we can lead them wherever we want and we can control their whole bodies. In a similar way, another word picture, here's what he says. He says, a small rudder on a huge ship in the hands of a skilled captain sets a course in the face of the strongest winds. What James is telling us in relationship to our tongues in relationship to our mouths and the words that we use, small things have big control. And so what James is trying to help us recognize is that our tongues and the words that we use have huge significance. They are of huge importance. This isn't just some passive thing, something that we should casually pay attention to. James is trying to let us know that in the same way horses and their bodies and lives are led by their mouths, or ships out on the open sea with the winds and the waves roaring and crashing about can be controlled by something very small. James is saying the same thing is true for our lives. Our lives, who we are as people, 
the choices we make, the nature of our relationships, our thoughts, our actions, our behaviors, all of those, James is saying, are informed by the words that we use, by the things that we speak or the things that we don't speak. So here's what he goes on to say. He says, a word out of your mouth may seem of no account. It's just something casual. We don't pay a lot of attention to it. We say 16,000 words a day. What's one or two words here or there tossed aside carelessly? But James tells us, he says, even though your words may seem of no account, they can accomplish nearly anything or they can destroy it. Now, one of the things that forms kind of the basis of James's instruction to us is kind of two categories, two places that James gains his wisdom and insight. One is the book of Proverbs in the Old Testament, and the other is the teachings of his half-brother Jesus. And so what we see James saying here, he borrows directly from Proverbs. Proverbs talks about how the tongue has the power of life and death. James is saying the same thing, that our words create worlds. The words that we say, the words that we speak, they actually can create worlds. They can also destroy worlds. The power of life and the power of death, they're all found in our tongue. They're all found in our speech. And so when you think about how easily our our tongue controls who we are, the lives that we lead, and the reality that we experience, the way that we can create life and death with our words, James is saying, you have to pay attention to this. This is important. This is hugely significant. This isn't something that we just casually toss aside. Even if the words don't seem significant in any measure, James is saying, you really got to pay attention to this. Every word, all 16,000 of them, every single day, each of them have the power of life. And each of them have the power of death. Now, one of the things that I always find fun and kind of affirming of what I find in Scripture is when decades, millennia after passages of Scripture have been quoted or written down or recorded, we have modern science that comes up with research and information that affirms what the people in Scripture have been telling us for thousands and thousands of years. So this idea that James is communicating that that nearly anything can be accomplished by our words, that our tongue has the power of life and death, we find that this is true. There is a, uh, he's kind of a mental conditioning coach, and his name is Trevor Moad, and he works with, you know, professional football teams. He works with college football teams, most notably the University of Alabama and some Fortune 500 companies and the U.S. military because he is um, not a positivity mindset coach, but he is a neutral mentality mindset coach. Now, this is, this is the difference that he makes. He recognizes that positive thinking can, it can often be discarded. So when you experience difficulty or adverse circumstances, you find yourself in a challenging moment, thinking positive actually isn't as effective as what he's discovered. And what he's discovered is the most effective thing that you can do to impact your current circumstances and situations check this out, is not to think positively, is not to say it's all going to be okay, we can do this, to bring out the cheerleaders, rah, rah, rah. He's saying it's actually the avoidance of saying anything negative at all. So Trevor Moad, in his research, he says that when we speak things out loud, when we say them out loud, when we name them, when we speak them into existence, they are 10 times more powerful, 10 times more effective than just thinking these things. Imagine you've experienced this in your relationship. 
if somebody that you're with has said something that was particularly hurtful, even if you knew that they had thought it previously, just hearing them say it out loud, some of the weight of those things is just crushing. I remember as a kid growing up, and anytime I would get in trouble, I knew my parents were upset with me. I knew that there were going to be consequences to my choices and to my behavior. But the worst thing, the worst thing that my parents could say, the worst thing that my father could say to me when he was disciplining me would be to look at me and say, I'm so disappointed in you. I mean, I'd rather get hit by a belt time and time again than to hear my parents say to me, I'm disappointed in you. Why? Because when you say them out loud, they have such a weight to them. They have the power of life and death. Now, for kids listening at home, this is not permission to chide your parents on you know, the disciplining that they do to you. This is important in helping people grow up to be high-functioning individuals, but it still bears true to what James is saying. And what the research that Trevor Moad shows us is that when you speak things out loud, they are 10 times more powerful than when you just think them. Now, some of other Trevor's research goes on to show that negativity, that negative things, negative thoughts, negative words are four to seven times more powerful than the positive. And so what's more helpful is avoiding saying negative things as opposed to trying to reframe things in the positive light. And so if you combine all of this together, what you realize is that when you say negative things out loud, it is 40 to 70 times more powerful, 40 to 70 times the impact, 40 to 70 times the weight of anything that you might be thinking, any positive reframing that you might be doing, any negative thoughts that might be entering your head. And so one of the things that Trevor did with the help of Coach Saban when they were working with the Alabama football team in their run of championships is they encouraged their players to avoid, and this is their words, don't say anything stupid. Now, they didn't say don't say anything stupid. They used some different language, but it was like don't say stupid stuff, and stuff was the different word. But you can imagine what they were saying. And so what they were trying to get their players to recognize is, yes, it's going to be hot when we have practice. Practice is going to be long and hard. There might be adverse circumstances. We might have calls in the games that don't go our way. We might miss plays or we not, might not make the right tackles or make the catches that we need to do. But don't speak about those things. It's not to ignore that they're happening. But when you name them, when you complain about them, when you criticize others about them, when you catastrophize about what you're seeing and what you're experiencing, what the research shows is it makes it 40 to 70 times more likely to lead to a negative consequence, to lead to a negative impact. And so all of the research that we see in modern psychology and modern mindset conditioning is, bears witness to what James is telling us. It's like, listen, your words, they matter, particularly the negative things that you say out loud. So think about all of the implications that this has for us in our lives and in our relationships, whether it's with the spouse whether it's with a child, whether it's with employees or employer. Think about all of the opportunities that we have to communicate, 16,000 words a day. And any time that we say something negative, any time that we criticize, any time that we complain, whether it's to others or to ourselves, any time that we catastrophize and we say that the way that things are going are worse than they actually are and we kind of lead into this place of you know, emotional sensationalism, which happens every single day in the news media, think about the impact of what we experience. Think about the impact and the effect that that has on us. This is why I think that kind of popular news and media is some of the most insidious stuff that we could be consuming. It's dangerous because of the way that it's always framed towards the negative. 
It's always framed towards the fearful. It's always framed towards the divisive. Speaking these negative things out loud impacts us 40 to 70 times more than anything else. And so James is saying, you have to be careful with your speech. You have to be careful with the words that you use or the environments that you put yourself in and the words that you were exposed to. This all really matters. And then James goes on, and this is maybe my favorite word picture, and I think one of the most helpful things as we think about the ways that we can go about our life conducting ourselves and our speech in the right manner. Verse 5, James says this. He says, think about this. A small flame can set a whole forest on fire, and the tongue is a small flame. By our speech, we can ruin the world. We can turn harmony to chaos We can destroy reputations and we can send the whole world up in flames and go up in flames with it. Flames right from the pit of hell. Now James does not mince his words in this moment. He uses this metaphor, this imagery to think about the words that you use, the tongue that we have in our mouths as a small flame. And so when you think about the way that the words that you speak create little fires everywhere, It helps reframe, for me at least, about when I should use my words and how I should use my words. Because a fire is not a bad thing in and of itself. When a fire is put into the right place, when the fire is placed into the fireplace of your home, it is a beautiful thing. It is comforting. It's reassuring. It gives light and it gives warmth into all of those into the house. But a fire in the corner of your room is a dangerous thing because it will consume and it will spread and it will begin to destroy and burn up everything. We've all seen all of the stories in the news, both recently and in you know, the decades past, of all of these huge forest fires that take down you know, hundreds of thousands of acres and millions of dollars of real estate and property, and they were started by what? Some small forest fire, a lit cigarette, a gender reveal party, that was the most recent one I heard, you know, I think some of the forest fires in California started by a gender reveal. I mean, I don't know what kind of gender reveal party that was, but you can see how simple this truth is. That in the same way that the small little spark, a small little flame can burn up an entire forest, the same thing happens in our lives. And so think about what James is saying. James is saying that the words that you use, they're like a flame. Imagine if we were to live our lives carelessly with the words that we used. In any environment, in any situation, regardless of how much dry kindling was on the ground, regardless of the appropriate setting for the words that we're using, it would just be like we take a match and then we just throw it. We just get rid of it. It doesn't matter. We just use our words. And so maybe this is how you conduct yourself at the office. You just take your words and you light the flame and you just throw it. Oblivious to the environment that you find yourself in. Maybe at home you walk in, you've had a bad day and you just light the match and then there it goes. We're not careful. We're not intentional with our words. We're not looking around, evaluating our environments and our situations. We just light the matches and we throw them. In our relationships with our family, with the people that we feel the safest around, we just light matches and we throw them because our words are often careless and they're often negative and they're critical. What would it look like if when we conducted our speech when we said things out loud, we were really thoughtful. We were really intentional about where we were putting these fires, where we were lighting things and where we were throwing them. It wasn't just wherever we went, 
casually dropping flames here and there, regardless of the consequences and the impact of what would happen when we said these things out loud. But what if we were really thoughtful? What if we even had the presence of mind to say, no, maybe I shouldn't say that. Or in a moment of anger, frustration, we said, hmm, now's not the time to have that conversation. Or maybe we think something and we want to say it, but we recognize that the power of negative speech has 40 to 70 times more effective when we say, do I need to actually say this? No. Okay. We put it out. This is what James is saying. He's saying our words matter. Our words are flames. And they can be dangerous when they're not handled appropriately, when they're not handled carefully. And so we have to be vigilant about the words that we use and the ways that we use them, knowing whether or not to throw or to blow them out. And so James goes on. This is in verse 7. He says, listen, you can tame a tiger. You can tame all sorts of animals, but you can't tame a tongue. It has never been done. The tongue runs wild and is a wanton killer. With our tongues, we bless God our Father. With the same tongues, we curse the very men and women he made in his image. Curses and blessings out of the same mouth. There's no control. There's no ability to monitor. There's no ability to tame the tongue. This is what James is saying. Time and time again, Christians are hypocrites in their speech. On Sunday morning from 10 to 11 a.m., they worship God and they give praises to God and they say all the right things. And then what James is saying is at 11.01, when they get in the car with their family, they're mean and they're critical and they're unkind and they say hurtful, harmful things to the people around them. And so in the same breath, we can give blessings. And in the same breath, we can give curses. This isn't specifically about four-letter words, but it's about the intent behind the words that we use. And so if we're to think about how we as people could begin to have a more intentional control, a more intentional management system over the words that we use, I think there's three categories through which we need to think about the words and the way that we use our words. And the first is our tenor. What is the content? What is the meaning? What is the general sense of the message that we're about to communicate with the words that we're saying? What is actually being said? What are the words that we're using and what are we trying to say with them? We need to evaluate that. We need to ask ourselves, is this a blessing that's giving life to others or is this more of a curse, a criticism, a complaint that's going to lead and destroy and to set fires to things that I don't actually want to set fires to? Begin to really evaluate the way that we're using our words and what we're actually trying to communicate. And so maybe it's in that moment where we're holding the flame and we're saying, okay, what am I saying here? Does it actually need to be said? And we evaluate based on the tenor of our message. Another way that we can evaluate the words that we're using is the tone. What's the emotion? What's the feeling? What's the character and mood of what we're trying to say? How will it be perceived? How are we communicating it? This is the one that I mess up and botch the most is because I'll try to say something, but I will say it in a really unkind, a really critical, a really sarcastic way. And so maybe I get the tenor right, but I've messed up the tone. This is a really easy thing for us to do. So we have to not just pay attention to what's being said, but we have to pay attention to how we're actually saying it, the volume, the pitch, 
the emphasis that we're applying to our words? How can we remove some of the barbs and some of the jagged edges on the words that we're saying? It's not wrong to maybe communicate hard truths or hard feelings to others, but we can be thoughtful and intentional about the way that we communicate those things, how we're saying them, the packaging that comes around these things. And so we have tenor and we have tone and the last is we have timing. When do you say it? Where do you say it? What is the situation and the setting and the cause for saying what it is that you're saying? It's not just enough to pay attention to what's being said or how you're saying it, but you also have to evaluate is right now the appropriate time to say these things. Is right now the best time in the middle of this party for me to criticize my spouse? Is this the right time in the middle of carpool to get on to my child in the presence of their friends? I think one of the best things that I've learned in trying to lead a team is to be a public champion and a private critic. There's nothing wrong with communicating, hey, we didn't get that quite right. Hey, we need to do that better. But the timing and the moment in which you communicate those things makes such a difference. And I still, I still struggle with this. I don't always get this right. There's kind of a, an immediacy to sometimes the messages that I want to communicate. And I, I won't get the tone right or I won't get the timing right, but it's really important to being intentional and thoughtful and careful with the words that we're using. Our tongue is a small flame. Are we just casually throwing these flames around, these words around, regardless of the setting, regardless of the timing, regardless of the moment, irrelevant of how it's going to come across or how it'll be received? Are we you know, careless with what we're actually communicating and we're not as intentional as we should be? And so as we begin to figure out how we can tame our tongue, how we can manage the words that we're using, how do we pay attention to the tenor, to what is being said? How do we pay attention and be thoughtful about the tone and how we're communicating it, how we're delivering it, what's the messaging system around it? And then the last is the timing. When are we saying this? Where are we saying this? Who else might hear this conversation and is that an appropriate audience for what we're trying to communicate? If we can get these three things right, the tenor, the tone, and the timing, it, I believe it will make a world of difference, a huge impact on the way that we are able to manage our tongue, to tame it, to speak words of life, not words of death. So this is how James ends this passage. He talks about how curses and blessings all come from the same mouth, which we just read. And then this is what he says. He says, my friends, this can't go on. This cannot be the way that we as people of faith live our lives. This cannot be the way that we as people of faith use our speech, communicate with our words. This cannot be how we live our lives surrounding the words that we use and how we use our mouths. He says this, he says, a spring doesn't gush fresh water one day and brackish water the next. Apple trees don't bear strawberries. Raspberry bushes don't bear apples. You're not going to dip into a polluted mud hole and get a cup of clear, cool water, are you? What James is saying here is he's repeating what his brother Jesus said. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. James is letting us know that not only are our words powerful, not only do they control our lives and the lives of others, not only do they have the power of life and death in the world and can set small little fires everywhere, but James is reminding us that the words that we use reflect the character of our heart. And so what are the words that you're using? Do you use words that give life 
Or do you use words that tear down and destroy and to set fire to things? Because that is the indicator of what's happening internally. James is letting us know that our words reveal our true nature, our true character, and what is in the abundance of our heart. And so if you're overly critical, if you're overly cynical, if you're overly negative and pessimistic, if you aren't thoughtful and intentional with your words and you're constantly cutting down and criticizing and tearing down and complaining and lobbing small fires in every which direction, James is saying you need to take a a long, hard look in the mirror because it's revealing what's going on inside of you. And in the same way, when you're thoughtful and intentional with your words, when you're measured, when you're careful, when you pay attention to the tenor and to the tone and to the timing of what you say, and you're thoughtful and diligent about using words that give life, James says in that way, it also begins to reveal the shift and the abundance out of which you speak that's happening within your heart. And we can all immediately think of people who fall into both categories. We all know people who seem to be given the spiritual gift of criticism or cynicism or skepticism, that they're hurtful and unintentional and careless with their words. And the damage that they do to the people around them is constant. And it accumulates over time, that there is a wake of relational you know, bodies in the path behind them because of the way that they use or don't use their words. And we also know people who it is such a joy to be around who is so life-giving to spend time with because of, the, again, the same way that they use their words. They're thoughtful, they're careful, they're gracious with their speech. And it gives life to all of those around them. And James says, we have a choice as to who we're gonna be. One of these is how James encourages us to move. It's the, it's the way and it's the model of Jesus to be controlled in our speech, which allows us to be controlled in our life which allows us to reveal the love and the grace of God to others. And so my friends, my prayer for us as a church and as a people is that we would be thoughtful and careful and intentional with our words, that we would be careful to recognize where we are putting these fires and to put them in the right places and in the right moments and in the right ways and at the right time. Doesn't mean that we can't communicate hard truths and hard feelings, but it means that we have to be thoughtful with the way that we use our words to give life or we use our words to spread death. So let me pray for our time together this morning that God would be able to continue to do this work in us and help us shift our speech to be that that's life-giving. Let's pray. Gracious God, I am so grateful for our time together this morning, for this opportunity to gather together as a church and as a people. Help us to be people who give life. Help us to be people who, in the same way that you spoke worlds into existence, because we are created in your image, we could too speak worlds into existence. Worlds of blessing, worlds of abundance, worlds of generosity and graciousness. God, help us to be intentional with our speech, to build up others and to not tear them down. God, we are grateful for this time together and for the way that you demonstrate this for us through your son, Jesus Christ. We pray all this in his name. Amen. Well, friends, we're so grateful for our time together this morning. And in the same way that we have to be intentional with the words that we use, we intentionally choose a set of words to end our service with each and every week. Because we recognize that when we say them out loud, they are more effective. And they help us reframe the significance of the calling that has been placed upon our lives as people of faith. And so we're going to share these words together as a reminder and as a blessing that church is not a building, it's not a service, but is the way that we are called to live our life and faith out in the world. So let's say these words together loud and proud. If you've never said them out loud before watching online, 
please do so this morning. Here we go. May the peace of Christ go with us wherever he may send us. May he guide us through the wilderness and protect us through the storm. May our lives be used to share the love that Christ has shown us. And may he gather us together once again into these doors. We love you and we'll see you next week. Hey, thanks again for listening. If you live in the Dallas area, we would love for you to visit us. For directions, service times, and more info, visit us at grove.org.